definitely walked up here with a different spirit in mind now. Um, you said that you believe this weekend is going to be a win-win. I hope that it is a win-lose, particularly on the part of the Chiefs. Um, not, not too bad, though. My wife's a Chiefs fan, so that would be really bad if they lost really bad. But uh, that was great. I was not expecting that. <laughs> and so I am so grateful to be up here, even though um, Alex hates America's team. Um, I do want to thank Alex and Cassie for giving me the space to share a message that I hope will encourage you, um, and you will see how this could hopefully draw you closer to community. That's the mission, that at some point in time, you will feel closer to the community that you're already in, or feel encouraged to exist in a community, community that you may not be in right now. But before I navigate that, I want to say happy daylight savings. Not only did you get an extra hour of sleep this morning, but you did get... Um, one less hour of daylight, which means that it is time for you to do, all of us to do what God has called all of us to do in this season of life, and that is to set up our Christmas lights and decorations. If you haven't done it already, mine stay up year-round. I need to plug them in. That's all I need to do. Um, here's the deal. You need to minister to the Grinches of your neighborhood. You need to save the Ebenezer Scrooges. And you need to let your holly jolly holiday spirit live. And uh, I think it's good. Look, it's never too early to set up Christmas lights. The question is, when is it too late? And so I just hope that y'all feel encouraged with that. That is the message. Amen. Worship team. No, no. But if you've been around, we have been talking about the Apostles' Creed. If this is your first time, um, I'll walk through some things that all of us have heard already. Uh, the Apostles' Creed is simply a summary of the Christian faith that depicts the full story of Scripture. The Apostles' Creed contains one of the most concise summaries of the Christian faith in straightforward scriptural language. It follows the narrative arc of Scripture from creation to incarnation to crucifixion to resurrection and Pentecost to life everlasting. The Apostles' Creed reminds us that our story and church are rooted in an ancient faith. There is no singular author by which this creed can be traced. Rather, it is the work of the Western Catholic Church. Though it seems to have grown out of Peter's confession in Matthew 16, 16, its origin is as a baptismal confession those that are laying down their life to join Christ in his death and resurrection and confess this as their new reality and guiding story. The Apostles' Creed is not simply a routine repetition of doctrine, but rather it's our pledge of allegiance, if you will, to God, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. It is a liturgical poem meant to move our heart as a pledge of allegiance to the triune God revealed in the person of Christ. But before we get into the portion of the Apostles' Creed that I'm going to cover today, I want to ask this one question. What is the good life? And often, as I was thinking about this, and I, I, was, I just was met with the reality that our good life in this culture, it can be associated with individualism, our individualism, and the next new thing. Now, forgive me. 
I am what you would call a, a hip-hop lover, a lover of all things of the boom bap since I was a little kid. Um, I, I, I blame my mother who raised me up on it. Um, I would maybe say hip-hop aficionado, hip-hop fan, maybe known to drop a couple bars here and there in the booth in my heyday. And I will say, as much as I love hip-hop, um, and I'm not trying to drown out that music in this culture, I'm not trying to do that. What I am trying to say is, if you are much like me, when you think about what is the good life, there is probably one particular song in the late 2000s that is a no-brainer that comes to your mind when answering this question. And it is a song, The Good Life, quite literally, by none other than Ye, artist formerly known as Kanye West. And I want to be clear about something, okay? As a lover of hip-hop, this is a person that I used to supremely follow. Um, this is not somebody that I'm, like, co-signing on today or anything like that. I am simply referencing something that at one point in time in my life was a big part of my personal music interests. And I think when we ask the question, what is the good life, this song still rings true with what our culture believes the good life is. When you analyze the lyrics, the rest of the, or the very first hook starts with, I go for mine, I gots to shine. Individualism, right? And that lyric is repeated, I mean, at least 20 times in the song. The rest of the song Describes the good life as getting away with selling drugs, having a Ferrari, looking at women's bodies, watching money pile up, liking women because of their bodies, getting drunk, some more alcohol and lust, more money and even more money, right? <laughs> That's what the good life is described as. And at one point in time, I used to sing that like as if I lived any of it, right? And I did not. <laughs> and he ends his last verse with this very interesting lyric. He says, before I had it, I close my eyes and imagine a good life. And that's so interesting because he's implying that at one point in time, the life he's living, that he believes is the good life now, he did not have that, but he dreamt about it and he hoped for it. But now he's living it. And this is what our culture throws at, at us as the good life, right? When we look at those lyrics, it's just getting away with, staying on the top, having top-of-the-line things, sex, more sex, money, more money, wild living, even more wild living, even more sex, and even more money, right? And I also want to be clear that some of these things are more than good and can even be great in moderation and in the right circumstance, in the appropriate moment, all right? I'm, I don't want to miss that or dismiss that. I also want to be clear that some of these things are more than good, can even be great. I, we were just outside, you think about luxury, right? In order to have luxury, you gotta have some money. And when we were waiting outside, Chan was even talking about this, about how he just got this new bed, right? And if we're being honest, new beds, they can be expensive. They can be hard to come by, especially when you've been like living on the same one since college or maybe you got a, a used one. And that new bed, let's be honest, you're probably going to sleep eight or nine hours and it's going to feel great and your body's going to feel good and you're going to be well rested. That feels good, right? 
When you're used to like some bum car your entire life, you drive in a rental or you're sitting in your friend's luxury car and the AC feels great and clean. It doesn't smell like old food and cigarettes. It's not hard to, for it to get cold really quick, right? The, the cushions and the seats, they feel comfortable. You don't feel like you're sitting on a hard seat. It doesn't feel like the car is going to crumble any moment on the interstate, right? It's riding smooth. It feels good. That's why it's called the good life. And then when you're working hard, you're, you're, you're at your job, you're trying to pay for things, especially right now when money's tight, it feels a lot better to see multiple zeros as opposed to zero zeros. It feels good. And even if we're just being honest, we're all adults here in the room besides one precious baby. Oh, another precious baby. There you go. I didn't see the other one. Sorry. If we're being honest, some of that other stuff, it's to numb out different pains and burdens, different rejections and neglects that we have. And it feels a lot better than the pain, the rejection, the burden, the neglect and the emptiness. So that's why we activate it with as many people as possible and in as many places as possible if we're living in that life. It feels good. Or we wouldn't do it. And that w- or it wouldn't be endorsed as the good life. But in our culture, the good life is all about ourselves. And the next new thing, our pleasure our riches, the next pleasure, our adventure, the next adventure, the newest pleasure, the next riches, the newest riches. But the text that we'll navigate today shows us what the good life actually is. That the good life is not individual at all. It's not this perpetual state of discovering the new thing. The good life is communal. And the portion of the Apostles' Creed that I will be covering is the global church and the communion of saints. If y'all have done any research on the Apostles' Creed while you've been a part of this series or if you've never been here and you've researched it before, you might have run into translations that actually say the Catholic Church or the Holy Church. And without spending too much time on these translations, I wanna give you this simple understanding. The global church or any other churches, variations listed in the Apostles' Creed that you may have read includes the holy ones, the saints, the people who live in communion with God and others. This community regularly shares gifts with each other. These gifts include encouraging each other's faith, offering each other excessive grace, serving one another, and loving each other. Stanley Howard says, the lives of the saints are the hermeneutical key to scripture. So in order to understand this portion of the Apostles' Creed and connect it to what it has to do with our relationship, our life with Jesus, we need to look at the lives of the people that came before us. And what we're going to look at today is in Ephesians and take a real deep look at Paul. Paul's letter to the Ephesians, if you've ever read this text before, it's it's where it's how it houses the scripture that is a popular marriage scripture in Ephesians 5. But before that, a couple chapters before that in chapter 2, um, you'll see a strong point of emphasis of the entire book of Ephesians. It's different compared to many of the other New Testament letters he wrote. 
Ephesians was not written so much to address problems in a particular church. More so, it was written to explain some of the great themes and doctrines of Christianity. While previous letters from Paul focused more on God's work in us as individual followers of Jesus, Ephesians focuses on the communion of saints, what we're talking about today. This focus on community is interesting considering that history suggests that Paul was incarcerated at this time. So he was not in community. He was actually deprived of community. Taking it a step further, some believe that this letter was not simply written to be heard and kept in the church of Ephesus, but it was to be heard in Ephesus and to be distributed to multiple churches in multiple cities, the global church. And in the second chapter where our key text lies is a depiction of where all of us have either been or may still be in our life. And that is the not so good life. The not so good life, it contains or consists of disconnect and rebellion. In Ephesians 2, 1, it says just in a few words, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins. In this sense, dead implies the disconnect between us and God, while trespass implies our intended or unintended rebellion towards God. It's like when I meet somebody that has said they've never eaten at Whataburger in their life, which I will say did happen today. I'm not going to point to the person that I met that I did not know previously, but I will say I sat right there, and I do know Alex and Cassie, but I'm not going to point out who I met. (laughs) I told them I was going to do this, but it was great how it worked out. It's obviously God's plan for me to say this. Um, Here's the deal. I'm not judging you. As a native Texan, I hold no judgment on you. Um, You are simply nutritionally dead. Um, Because of your disconnect to God's holy burger. Um, And whether you intended it or not, you are a rebel without a cause. Your life is just not good without a juicy, greasy patty melt with spicy ketchup on the side. It's just not. In all seriousness, you probably added 10 years to your life if you didn't do that. But it's as a Texan who loves it, right? Um, that is a funny way of looking at the depiction of this text. Matter of fact, on sin, St. Ignatius offers what I think is a helpful definition. Sin is an unwillingness to trust that God wants our deepest happiness. And we see this definition further illustrated in the next part of the not-so-good life, where it's all about disobedience. And when we hear that, I, I actually share with Alex, like, I don't like disobedience and obedience, the words in themselves, because honestly, for someone who's gone through like church hurt and been around very ultra-religious people, I despise those words. But in still some senses, those words are very true and very real theologically and biblically. And in this case, they are. Ephesians 2, 2 through 3 says, in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, 
like the rest of mankind. Look, I've previously been a child of wrath, if you will. I met Alex, and he tried to get me on to coffee. I have notoriously held the opinion that all coffee tastes the same. And until recently, um, I have been awakened to the grounds of the earth. And Alex has everything to do with that. And I was living like a child of wrath with no coffee in my system, no, um, no grounds in which I came up from myself, right? Um, I have been a child of wrath, and I am now saved in the world of coffee because of Alex. I was disobedient, right? <laughs> Again, similarly, that's where we can find ourselves in the not-so-good life, away from God's actual plan. I'm not trying to tell you all God's plan for you is Whataburger and coffee, kind of, but not really but away from God's plan and away from God's plan that I want to really illustrate with you here. And that is the good life because in the good life, we're not meant to be disconnected. We're not meant to be in rebellion. We're meant to be connected and loved. Ephesians two, four through seven says, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Um, if you are a basketball fan, at one point in time you played basketball, um, maybe you are a fan of the evil institution known as Kansas State University. Um, I mean that with no ill intent because I have two people in my micro church that are graduates of Kansas State, and we pray for them often. Like we have like a 15-minute beginning where we just lay hands and pray on. We don't, <laughs> um, but it's just, uh, yeah. I'm a KU fan, rock shock. Um, no, it's a great institution. It really is. Um, but if you are someone who has followed them for some time, um, there's a player there named Michael Beasley, probably the best basketball player to ever come through Kansas State University. And I remember um, when I was in high school, uh, Michael Beasley was playing there, and he was regarded as one of the greatest basketball players in his class at that point in time, really in the world. Um, greatest in the country, which they believed was greatest in the world at that point in time. And then when he was in college, he's one of the top players, one of the top two players in the country as far as collegiate basketball was concerned, right? If you're a sports fan, you saw him. If you're a basketball fan, you saw him. You thought this dude was unreal, he was drafted high in the NBA draft. I believe he was drafted second. Um, and he lived a long, successful basketball career. Uh, he was in the league for quite some time. He, um, he played and bounced around in some other leagues as well when he was out of the NBA. If you were any of those people I described, a basketball fan, basketball player, sports fan, a student at Kansas State University, or a student at a university where he came and played, he was the epitome of the good life. He had it all. He had wealth right in front of him. He discovered wealth very quickly. He was liked by a lot of people. 
He had all of the things that the quote-unquote good life can offer you, right? And I remember he was actually in this recent interview with um, a group of NFL guys, three NFL guys who now live in Miami and they have a podcast and they bring on different athletes or different people and culture. And they were asking him about his daily life. And he was like, man, I just play basketball and hang out with my kids, which that still sounds great. In all all honesty, I wish I could just play basketball and hang out with my family. Like that would be great. Um, But at the end of the day, you started to get a depiction of how not so good it was for him. He began to describe that not only is that all he does, but like when he's at home and he's not with his kids, he's just by himself. He's in isolation. He doesn't go out. He doesn't get, he lived that life. He doesn't want it anymore. And in a moment, the interview became very heart-wrenching because as he continued to describe this, the people that were with him, these NFL players that have the same things as him, that have been in the same life as him, they're like, man, dude, that's not the way to live. You can't live like that by yourself. That's not good for your mental. That's not good for your emotional. You've got to get with people, right? And I remember there's even one point where one of the former NFL players had invited him. He's like, man, you come hang with us. And he's like, man, I'm, I'm not trying to go out anymore. I'm not trying to do any of that. I live that life. I don't want it. It's, it didn't serve me. And the player asked him, man, just come over and barbecue. Have, we could grill out. We could sit in my backyard and just talk about being dads, being men. And Michael Beasley, the hardest part of the interview he looks at him and he says, no disrespect to what y'all got going on, but I'm tired. And he just breaks down. And he explained that his kids are the only people that he feels like have not tried to take something from him and take advantage of him while living the quote unquote good life. And here he stands as they continue to try to offer him invite, invitation into his community. And he just can't do it because he's lost trust. He's been in isolation and he wants nothing to do with anything that brought him the not so good life. See, not so good life, it leaves us disconnected. It leaves us disconnected from the greatest love there is at odds with ourselves and others and consumed with ourselves. The good life, though, it leaves us connected to the greatest love, that of Jesus. A love that was available in our rebellion, a love that looks past our past, uh, allows us to be deeply connected to Jesus in the present and promises us immense grace in the future. And the second part of the good life is obedience. Ephesians 4, 8 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God. It's not a result of works so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Again, this is an obedience that's not you followed a checklist of rules. This is an obedience that's, birth out of a deep connection that you have with Jesus. And so there's a natural overflow of the life that you live from that faith. So how do we practice this? How do we actually make this happen? 
Paul challenges us to remember that disconnection, that rebellion, that disobedience, that the not-so-good life pertains that we once lived with, or maybe some of us in this room we're still living with in verses 11 through 12. He then affirms the connection, love, and obedience, the good life that we lived with in verses 13 through 18. So how do we live that out? How do we practice the good life? And I know this is going to sound like if you've ever been in church before, this is going to sound like a lazy marketing ploy for an existing ministry within the church. But I can only tell you the best way that we can practice this is microchurch. And please, hear me out. I promise that's not what we're doing. All of us right now are in Midtown Church. When I say, I'm not saying we're in this building, Midtown Church, we're in this community right now together, right? And every single week, we go through a cultural commentary, we go through a study of the Bible and how that pertains to that culture. Ultimately, we walk out of this building and walk out of this community with a spiritual practice in mind. And as far as, I can't speak for the church down that street or the churches down that way, but for Midtown Church, the most practical way that we can practice this is through microchurch. Hear this out, Ephesians 2, 19 through 22. This is our key text. And I'm actually only gonna read this text once because I think it speaks for itself. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Microchurch. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together, microchurch, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. Microchurch. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place, again, microchurch, for God by the Spirit. Microchurch, by definition, is the full expression of Christ's church in smaller, everyday environments like a living room, as I've discovered recently, a coffee shop, a kitchen table, a Whataburger table, Microchurches are the primary way we reveal the kingdom of Jesus together in Kansas City. Which is why I'm not going to unpack our text too much. It quite literally speaks for itself. But microchurch is where members of Midtown Church join together, grow together, and build together the exact cadence of our key scripture today. On minimalist.com forward slash alone, the writer writes this article when talking about his alone time versus his time with people. And the idea about this is the alone time that he values, also the community that he values. He says, when I do surround myself with people, I make sure that I'm able to contribute to them. And in fact, that's the best part is when I am there, I am really there. And I go way out of my way to show the people that I love, that I care about them, that I understand them, and that I will do what I can to support them. 
every single week. My wife, myself, Caleb, the Hales, the Glovers, Zakia, Peggy, Andy, Connor, Joe, Caden. We, members of the household of God, Midtown Church, joined together on the Kansas side. Some would say the best side. I graduated high school on the Missouri side. No, 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 I'm in between. We grow together and we build together. And much like Michael Beasley, things can try to creep in. I would be willing to bet every dollar that I have, and I'm not making any judgments on any potentially wealthy people in this room, but I am willing to bet on every dollar that I have that that dude has more money than all of us combined in here, or is at least accrued it over his lifetime. But everyone has their own set of problems that hinder us from experiencing the good life. Too busy, coursework, work itself, emotional struggles, mental struggles, sick kids, crazy kids, and in unfortunate circumstances, tragic loss. And while all those things are legitimate things, those are even things I have succumbed to with a busy life, they're all things that we wrestle with. While all those things seem to continue to come up in life, I want to challenge you with this, to make community, quite specifically microchurch, an unhindered priority of your life. Because while the burdens of this life can tend to tear us down, the good life of community can build us up by the power of the Holy Spirit. This is actually a rewind to when Cassie just spoke. And I agree with Cassie when she said that a lot of the Holy Spirit talk, it could be weird, it could be awkward, because we have different interpretations of what that means, different experiences within the church on, quote unquote, the Holy Spirit. But as she referenced in 1 Corinthians 12, 7 through 11, God has a plan for your community to experience the Spirit through a variety of ways. Empowerment, collective empowerment. How many of you walked in the microchurch, you felt powerless, yet you walked away collectively feeling empowered to walk with God? Common good. How many of you experienced the power of being together in Kansas City at Agape Pomoja, at Trunk or Treat, and any community event that we do with someone from your microchurch? Knowledge and understanding. How many of you felt so confused, helpless, but left microchurch with clarity and understanding of what you, over what you were previously wrestling with? In faith. How many of you left microchurch over, overwhelmingly filled with faith? I know I do every week. As I am doing this pan over this message, I see several people in my microchurch that have given me that overwhelming faith every single week. The good life, it's discovered, it's learned, and it's lived with fellowship in Midtown Church, joining a micro church and building the good life together. Let's pray. I ran across a song that I've not listened to in a while while studying this message. And I would like to tap into my inner psalmist, <laughs> my inner David, and pray this song over you. Please take this moment to reflect on yourself, and I pray that you receive this. May you return 
to the place that you've always belonged, to the place that you are with God, to the place that you hear God. I pray that you would return to communion this week, that together in Kansas City, you will see God, that you'll give love, receive love, and trust that God has something for you that is far beyond your trespasses, far greater than sin and death. God wants you to experience the good life, the place where you will gather with community, and together in that community, the place where you will find him. It's where you were meant to be, where your community was meant to be, place of prayer, a place of peace, a place where you can bear your burdens with one another. There is nothing like this communion with God and others, and there is nothing like the good life. And to that, I pray you return. Amen. listening to the Midtown Church Weekly Podcast. To find out more or to join a church gathering, check out our website at midtownkc.church.